think with a little effort we can make her cry, I think. Just want you to know how inclusive we are. We now officially have an Android user on the Elder Board. I'm not happy about it, but we do, all right? Ruth, chapter 2 is where we're headed. If you would turn there, if you need a Bible, there's one on the chairs in front of you. We're about six, seven books into the Bible, so from the Old Testament, about seven books in is Ruth. Uh, not about, but actually seven books in. And so if you would turn there, you'll want that to follow along. Follow along. We began the book of Ruth last week, and we said that the book of Ruth follows really two women, Naomi and Ruth, and that their physical journey really parallels their spiritual journey. We saw Naomi as they left and they went to Moab because of the famine in Israel, the famine where she is from in Bethlehem. As she do that, she's, she, she's not just walking away from her hometown, she's really walking away from trusting God, right? And, and throughout chapter one, Naomi and Ruth, they return together, or Naomi returns, Ruth joins her. Ruth is a Moabite. Moabites are uh, enemies of God's people at that time, and, and they have a, an, a violent kind of history together. And so she returns with her mother-in-law. Now, they lost all the men in their lives, Naomi's husband, her two sons, one of which was married to Ruth. And so as they return, we watch as this parallels their spiritual journey. And these two verses uh, are really important. Judges 21, 25 says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then the beginning of Ruth says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Those two verses, if you didn't have any like introduction in your Bible or anything, those two verses would be back to back. And historically, Ruth 1 sets us in the time of the judges. And so it's this line right here, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, which means inherently they're not doing what is right in God's eyes. And Ruth opens with a famine on the land. Tim, can you start my timer, please? And so the famine is viewed as, and it's viewed as by the people, and, and, and most who study this, that that was God withholding blessing from them. And so I just kind of, the visual for me is when God's people are doing what God calls them to do, his hand remains on them. And when they begin to disobey and wander, however that might be, in the, in the case of, of this era, it was worshiping other idols and, and losing sight of God. And you can just imagine as he corrects them and they don't listen, he just lifts his hand off. And the further his blessing gets away from them, the more struggles they have, whether that be from the nations around them or famine or whatever it might be. And so in this case, Naomi's family leaves, and really it's, it's, a, it's a parallel to her walking away from her faith. But as she returns back to Bethlehem, what we see is Ruth convert to following God, to trusting in God. But Naomi returns home bitter, and her name actually means pleasant, and when they call her Naomi, she says, call me Mara, because I'm bitter. And so she is bitter with God. We're back in Bethlehem for this. Let me give you kind of a main idea. So Advent, peace. So we, we're working through this season of reminding ourselves that, that Christmas focuses on Christ. So Christmas reminds us that our peace is found in Christ, not in our circumstances or resources. Whether in plenty or in need, we have peace from God. Many of you have heard that verse, you know, peace that surpasses understanding. And I think it, it's this, that we have peace 
through Christ no matter what our circumstances are. The world can be chaotic. Our lives can be chaotic. It can be anything but peaceful. But in Christ, we still have peace. And so that's what we want to talk about today, that that our peace comes from Christ, not from our circumstances or our resources, our money, or whatever it might be. That our peace comes from Christ. Ruth chapter 2, let's pick up in verse 1. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So if you're following along, we just learned three things about Boaz. Boaz is a native, a native, a relative of Naomi's. He is native from Bethlehem here. He's a relative of Naomi's. The author here says he is a worthy man or a godly man, is what is being communicated there. And Boaz is also a man who might be called by God to care for Naomi and Ruth. Now, without a husband, Naomi's husband died, and without her sons, they also died. Naomi is a bit destitute because property and income and all those business, all that went through the male family members. And so when you would lose a husband, your sons would be the inheritors of the income and they would care for you. But when you lose your husband and your sons and you have no one, then you're at the mercy, if you will, of the community. And the community is geared to care for you. And so, again, Old Testament Israel is a lot like the modern day church in this sense that the community of faith should be wired for caring for the vulnerable. And so Naomi returns back to where she is from with really the hopes that she can find care there. How that would work is another male relative would be able to step in and care. And we'll, we'll see that play out over time in the next three chapters. But for now, understand Boaz is being introduced to us. He's a godly man. He's a relative. And he's a close enough relative to where he may end up becoming their redeemer, or the one who who cares for them. Now, just a note for you in the book of Ruth, especially around Boaz. What the author does here is it uses his speech. So his dialogue, his speech, the words he says, it uses that to develop his character. So we're going to learn about Boaz through his conversations, right? Verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whom, whose sight I will so find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth offers to go glean. Now, that's not something we talk about. The only place we ever use the word gleaning is a metaphor, and it's used sometimes in the church. Gleaning was this process of coming behind the harvesters. So imagine someone is growing wheat or is growing grapes or whatever it is, they have this big open field and they've planted and the plants have grown and the fruit is there or has grown to the place where you're going to harvest the food from it. And then the harvesters would come in, so the owner would have workers that would come in and they would go pick all the fruit or harvest the wheat or whatever they were supposed to do. They would go retrieve all the food that they had been growing. Now, gleaning was going behind them and picking up what was dropped, or even there were some rules built in that you were not to glean all the way to the, you were not to harvest all the way to the edges, right? That the edges, the corners were to care for those who were socioeconomically in need, right? And so it was, again, built into the community, kind of like our deacons. We build into the church 
deacons who can care for people, whether that be in financial need or other needs, right? They not just lead and serve through management of ministries in the church, they also care for people. And so every community of faith should, in a biblical way, have a way to care for people, right? That we might be able to help those who are here in need. And so this is that way. God had built this into the community that when they harvested whatever was dropped or whatever was left on the edges, that a, a person could go and glean. They, were go, they could go and they could pick up what was left over and use it for themselves. Now, there's a bit of risk for Ruth. Ruth is a woman, so she is at risk and a little bit vulnerable there, right? She's also a Moabite, and so she's actually from a, a group of people that are enemies of the Israelites, and so she's also by herself. And so she, she's got these things where she's a bit vulnerable. And so she asked Naomi, can I go out and glean? Like, I want to go provide for us. I want to go get the thing that will provide for us. And, and there's some subtle things behind this. Ruth couldn't have known about gleaning except for by learning from the community of faith, right? It was built into followers of God to do this for those who were in need. And so she's been learning, she's been growing in her faith, and even, even though what we see in Naomi is that Naomi is still distant from God, Ruth is leaning in. And so she knows that there's a way that she can help provide for her and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And it says this, Ruth says this, she used this line, him in whose sight I shall find favor. She says, him in whose sight I shall find favor. It's unclear, is she looking, uh, is she speaking about a human, like a man in, whom, in his, him in whose sight I might find favor? Maybe there's a guy out there who owns something that we'll, we will find favor with. She could be saying that, or she could be referring to God. And, and it's really a question mark. It, it could go either way. And what we're going to see is a bit of that today in this story, even when a man acts, in the case of this chapter, when Boaz acts, he acts on behalf of God. And so it will actually work out, no matter which way she means, it will actually be a human being, a man, who will act and care and be kind and be generous but he'll be doing so on behalf of God. You with me? So there's a bit of a, a duality there, a double kind of language there. She said, him in whose sight I shall find favor. Favor here is the Hebrew word for grace. Grace is unmerited favor, right? That there's not something you earn, but it's something you receive freely. It's not something given to you because of anything you contribute. Grace is a free gift. And so she says, him in whom I shall find favor. Verse 3. So she set out, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech, if you were not here last week, Naomi's deceased husband. So she goes out to glean, and it says she happened to come. I love that language, she happened to come right, to the field belonging to Boaz, a family member related to her deceased father-in-law, her late father-in-law, right? What we see here in the way this is written is that God is providing for her. She didn't just happen upon it and get lucky. God is sovereignly caring for her. We're following this journey because of what God is doing. And so Ruth's need is really her daily bread, her daily food. Her need is to eat for her and her mother-in-law. 
And so she begins to put in the work to gather from the edges and the extras of this field, gleaning, right? And God directs her, providentially, God directs her to a particular field owned by a particular man, the one we're introduced to in verse 1. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So Boaz, actually, though we heard who Boaz is in verse 1, and that he owns this field in verse 3 that the workers are in, we actually now, Boaz joins the story. And as he does, again, remember that his speech, his dialogue is going to reveal about his character, right? So he arrives at a a field that he owns where he is growing the crops that he's growing, And now Ruth is there gleaning, but as he arrives, he speaks to his people, and he greets them, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you. And so we see a godly man creating a godly work environment, right? We see a a man who is rooted in his faith even as he goes to work, right? So as he goes out to reap or, or harvest the crops that he's grown, what we see is his faith lead. What we're going to learn about Boaz, and that this is just kind of the glimpse of it, is that Boaz sees everything that he owns as truly God's, right? And and we, we talk about that quite a bit. We talk about that everything that I have or everything that you have, you have that because God gave it to you. And you may say, well, no, I went to work. I did this. I got a job. I went to school. Fantastic. The breath in your lungs, God did that, right? The skill that you have, Trust me, the health that you have that we so often take for, take, advantage, take for granted, right? God does that. And so everything we have is God's. He gives it to us to manage or steward well. And Boaz is an example of that. Now, Boaz is going to appear to be the hero of the story. But he's really not the hero of the story. He's the human agent of the, human, of the hero of the story, which is truly God himself. Right? And Boaz is going to teach us about Jesus. So interestingly enough, a man from Bethlehem, sound familiar, is going to teach us about Jesus. Right? And so what Boaz does, and what Boaz gets incredibly right, and I don't want to undermine Boaz, But what he understands is that all that he has is God's. And in a world where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, Boaz is going to do what's right in God's eyes. And so Boaz will become this figure for us that we will learn from. Verse 5 says, Then Boaz said to his young man, who is in charge of his reapers, we'll just call him like the foreman, right? Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So Boaz gets to this place, and he speaks to his foreman, his workers, and he sees Naomi, and he sees someone who obviously doesn't belong, she doesn't work for him, and he just inquires about her. Who is this? Well, she's Ruth the Moabite, and she's called Ruth the Moabite throughout this whole book, right? And and the purpose there is for us to remember she's truly an outsider, Ethnically, she's different. She's not an Israelite. She's not Jewish. And and she's visibly, noticeably different. Not only does she not work there, but she's not from there. 
And so Boaz inquires about her. He talks to his foreman. Here's a note for you. God's provision. And these are all in the app, in case you don't write quick, quickly. God's law calls his covenant people to provide for those in need. God's providential care is most often applied through our kindness. Right? God sets the framework around gleaning, right? It's written into the Old Testament law. Again, we're seven books into the Bible, seven, eight books into the Bible, right? I forgot one. And so it happens, right? I'm getting old. So eight books into the Bible, and in the first five books, we call that the law, the Torah, right? God establishes this process of care for people. Part of it is this, it's gleaning, right? That, that those who can come, anybody in need can come and they can they can work the edges and the margins and the extras and the things that fall, and that they can use that to sustain themselves. And so that's what Ruth is doing. So Boaz inquires about her and learns who she is. She said, please let me glean, this is Ruth speaking, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so he relays this conversation about how she politely comes up. She doesn't just assert herself and do what she knows is allowable, but she asks for permission to come and do this, and that she has been working hard. It says she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And so one of the things we learn about Ruth is as she grows in her faith, she also is a hard worker. She's out there putting in the effort to care for not only herself, but also for Naomi. A question for you, when, when we struggle, and, and we all struggle, so I'm going to ask it that way, when we struggle, do we approach it with hard work and a good attitude, or do we blame God and others, or others, right? And we saw a bit of this last week, like Naomi is blaming God for all the wrong things, for all the things that have gone wrong in her life. She's missing the idea that, hey, she was off track and worshiping God back here, and as God is calling them to repent, she's not repenting. Neither is her husband, neither is her family, neither is her community. And so as God lifts his hand off of them, they, instead of repenting and returning and, and asking God to return his blessing and care, instead, they bounce. They go their own way. And they not only go their own way, they go to Moab, to the enemy of God's people. And so they go here, they go further away than they were here. And when this doesn't go well, and she loses her spouse, she loses her sons, she returns bitter. All of this is God's fault. We saw that last week. And so when we struggle, how do we view that? And how do we approach that? Do we, do we attack it with hard work, with faith, with trust, knowing God is a good God? Do we check our hearts? Do we make sure, hey, am I on track with God where I should be? Am I following Jesus closely? Or am I the problem? Because oftentimes we just can't get out of our own ways. Right? And it just takes some course correction in our hearts to, to fix our eyes back on Jesus and head that direction and trust that, that his way is the best way. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in, in, in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field so that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So Boaz cares for Ruth, and he gives her far more than God's law requires. 
we do a lot of what is it exactly that God requires. As if if we hit this kind of line, this, this metric, if we, if we get here, we're good. We don't have to think of anything else, right? We do that around giving. Okay, is it 10%? Is it this? What do we do? Okay, this. And then as if God may not be calling us to do something different, right? That God might not be calling us to generosity. And so Boaz has already achieved the minimum. In fact, he's been incredibly generous with that. His workers have been generous with that. His godliness and his character is shown even in the people who work for him. They represent that kind of godliness and character to outsiders. And so he's not only allowed people, he's, an, he's allowed an outsider in, right? But now, I just want you to see the provision. Boaz tells Ruth, do not go glean in another field or leave this one. Just Stay here. You can get all you want from my land, he says. Right? A lot of times people would glean around the edges, and then they would go on to the next field, and they would do this. And he just says, listen, just stay here. I'll provide for you. Then there's protection. Boaz says, let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping. And listen, you don't have to be looking over your shoulder making sure no one's going to hurt you. Right? You can keep your eyes on what you're doing. You can be more comfortable. You're protected here. He says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you. Ruth can focus on her needs because Boaz will make sure she is protected. And then there's this generosity. Boaz says, even when you're thirsty, go to the vessels that my, my men have drawn water out. Go there and drink. So he's provided for her. That's probably all that God had required. He protects her. Right? He's generous with her. He goes over and above. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? I want you to hear her question. I want you to imagine your Moabite, your Ruth the Moabite, the stranger, the widow from another place, the enemy of God's people. And I want you to think about how would you receive the kindness of God's people? What would that cause you to think maybe about the God they worship, the community they're from? So Ruth is marked by humility and not entitlement. She doesn't expect, she's grateful. But it's Boaz and his workers and his, his people, it's their actions that represent God to Ruth. Now we saw last week near the end of the chapter, she she pledges her allegiance to God. She, she comes to faith. She switches from whatever Moabites, Moabite worship practices she has, and she converts to following the God of the Bible. She does this even when Naomi is, is drawing away from God in some ways, when Naomi is bitter with God. And as she comes in, what she sees is the community of faith. She sees the people in and around where Naomi is from in Bethlehem. And she sees the people when they lead with, the Lord bless you and the Lord be with you. Like when they start with their faith and not just how much did we make today. She knows these people, their, their character for God. And, and all along, the workers had been the same way. And then Boaz arrives and he goes over and above to care for her. This is representing God to her. right? Our role is to represent Christ to the world around us. Right? And in this season, this Christmas season, 
when everything says Christmas and, and everything is about this narrative of a, a child born in Bethlehem, it is amazing how often we forget about Jesus and Christmas. That we actually have to slow ourselves down, focus on Advent, the coming of Christ, and remind ourselves, like, why is this so important? And the, the things that draw us off track is, is all the commercialization. So all the work parties, the church parties, the church services, the the gift giving, the pie baking, whatever it is, right? The meals that you're making, the time, the family, the friends, all the things that go on can draw us actually away from the true meaning of Christmas. And so we're intentional here to slow down and say, okay, this is what matters. And when we do this, when we remember to slow down and 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 fixate or, or focus or keep our eyes on Jesus in Christmas. Then we act differently around the people that we see. So we go to the family gathering. We go to the work party. We do these things. We go out with our, we see our neighbors and look at the lights and the things that they did. And we represent Christ to them well because our minds are fixed on Jesus, not on gift giving, receiving, food, party, events, things. And to be honest, this season just kind of gets consuming. And that it's actually hard to focus on Jesus during this holiday that, is, that bears his name. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you. I want you to hear this. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth's kindness is known. Her love for Naomi, her kindness, her sacrifice. Because if you think of it, Ruth could have remained with her family in Moab, remarried, could have done whatever. She could have stayed there. But Ruth has this conversion moment. She begins to worship the God of scripture, the God who created everything, the God who created you, me, her, the God who makes the rain come, and the God who withholds it to get our attention so that we'll return to him. And so as she does that, she sacrifices, she comes back to Bethlehem, and she begins to care for her mother-in-law. And so Boaz blesses Ruth, he commends her for her care for Naomi, and, and he blesses her with his care. For her kindness, he gives her his kindness. But it's that line again, verse 12, let's read this again. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz sees what he has and what he's doing as what God is doing. Boaz sees the blessing she's receiving is not coming from him, but coming from God. That God sees her kindness to Naomi, sees her love and her generosity, and that God wants to bless her. Boaz is just the guy who God calls to do it. But he doesn't see this as his work. He's not going to go home and tell his family, oh, look what I did today. He's telling the story of what God is doing for this woman and what she is doing. Boaz sees all that is his as God's, to use as God would see fit. 
So here's a note for you. Stewarding what God has given us. Boaz, Boaz excuse me, forgive the typo, Boaz treats what he has as resources that belong to God. When God needs to bless someone, Boaz is prepared to be the hands and feet that do the blessing. See, when we see what we have as ours and not God's, well, then we kind of do the math. Well, like, I, I, I need this, and I got to do this, and I really do want to get Starbucks in the morning, and, you know, and I, I haven't really gone shopping yet. And we, we approach everything we have differently. When we see what we have as God's, we, we find our home and, and our, our resource, all that we have, we see them as God's, we, we begin to want to bless those that God leads us to. We want to serve those that are vulnerable, that are in need, that, that need care. Verse 13, she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. These words, comfort and kindness, stand out. Right? Ruth was an outsider, a Moabite, an enemy of God's people with a violent history between the two groups. They only lived 50 miles away. Right? It's the Orange County Inland Empire issue. Right? Only 50 miles away, but we don't like you kind of thing. Right? Okay, I'm from the Inland Empire. I thought that was funnier. Anyhow, all right, so live here now. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so Ruth's an outsider, but now Ruth is a covenant insider. See, Ruth is now family, right? She now belongs. She's one of God's people. So no matter where she was born and what color her skin is, she's now one of the covenant family. Right over the last six months, we, we've talked a lot about belonging to a local church. And we began with, with 40, 50 people that had been here since the beginning or were in leadership now. And we started kind of our founding membership. And then over the last few months, up until last weekend, we had a group of people going through it. We still have some people going through the process. But we have a group of people that's gone through the process. And last week, we brought on 26 new members in the church. 26 new people, yeah, that we call family, right? That we, we have guests and we have friends and then we have family. And Ruth has gone from outsider, enemy, not even a guest, right? To kind of coming in, and Boaz is treating Ruth as she is family because she belongs to the family of God. Verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. You see, her situation is not dependent upon what she has. She gets to eat until she's satisfied because of what God is doing. Verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaths, and do not reproach her. Also, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. See, there were rules around gleaning. You get the edges, you get what's dropped, you get what's left over. And Boaz is saying, listen, the harvest, the best stuff, let's, let's leave some of that for her. Let's let her come in along the sheaves. Let her harvest some of the best stuff. And then take some of the stuff that we have out and just kind of leave it for her, right? And don't correct her and don't push her away. Care for her. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, 
and it was about an ephah of barley. I looked that up, that's three-fifths of a bushel. That didn't help anything, because I have no idea how big a bushel is, but in case you have ever been in an agrarian life, there you go, all right? And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. It calls us back to that verse where she's eating with Boaz and his workers and, and his people, and they feed her alongside. And she eats until she is satisfied. She is satisfied, right? And has leftovers that she takes home to Naomi because God has been so generous through his man, Boaz. So she transitions back to, now they're back in the city of Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Verse 19, it says, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. In the beginning, she says, well, now where did you work? And blessed be that man, right? And then she hears what's going on, and, and Naomi recognizes this is actually a close family member, somebody that might be a part of what God can solve in our lives. She, he might be a way through this struggle. She switches to blessed be the Lord and bless him and God. We're, we're seeing in little glimpses Naomi's faith being restored. Now, we know that this book has a larger purpose than this. But one of the cool things that we do see in the book of Ruth is we watch Naomi as she goes far from God slowly be restored to God. We watch her go from bitter back to Naomi, pleasant. Naomi has this arc of redemption that we get to watch. And, it, and it's when we read scripture, we often want to ask ourselves, like, who am I in the story, right? Who, who am I in this narrative? And, and it should be a critical look, right? We shouldn't be Boaz all the time, right? We shouldn't identify best with Jesus in most of the stories, right? We should try and find ourselves, okay, are we better understood through the lens of the disciples or the religious elite or the, the people in need? Or in this case, are we Naomi? Are we, are we bitter? Are there, is the Christmas holiday hard for us? rather than a blessing for us, right? And, and sometimes that's just true. And so who are we in the story? And, and maybe we find ourselves in Naomi, that kind of arc of redemption where she's, she's been way out here and then slowly God is restoring that, that faith and trust in his goodness. Ruth's role in that is that she's a blessing from God to Naomi. She's the daughter-in-law who probably should have stayed in Moab, but came back with her and is caring for her. She is really a, a tool of God's to bless and care for Naomi. And then Boaz, his role also, as he is a family member, but he doesn't know that when it starts, and he is just a blessing. He sees all that he owns as God's, and he, and he uses it as God would call him to use it. And so we see the people around Naomi as tools of redemption in God's hands, the kindness of a daughter-in-law, the generosity of one who is able Verse 20, I want to read that again. It says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. She, May God bless him. I think it's the first nice thing she said about God in the entire book so far. 
Naomi also said to her, the second half of verse 20, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. See, biblical redemption, to redeem someone is to claim them as your own, like family. But the catch is that it's, it's not someone who brings a lot to the table. It's someone who's in need. To redeem them is to take someone who doesn't have anything to contribute and make them family, inviting them into the blessing that you have. That's what redeemers were. They would, they would go to widows and those in need, and they would marry in, or they would adopt them in, depending upon the situation, so that they would be family, so that again, they once could live without all the struggle. And so Naomi gets this glimpse of how God provides for people through redeemers. You see, the gospel is a story of redemption. That God created the world that we're in, but he created it without the sin and the pain and the brokenness and the death and, the, and all the struggles of this world. That God created a world that was free of all of that. He put man, humanity into it and gave them a world without pain. But as they sinned, they broke the world. And so as we sin, we, we contribute to the brokenness of the world that we live in. And knowing that we separate, that we sin, that we separate ourselves from God, that we are sinful and, and broken and God is a holy God, there's this gap. Knowing we could never work our way back to perfection because we're born imperfect, God sends the perfect to us in Christ. And so God becomes human, God becomes flesh in Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus becomes human. And he doesn't come in as Caesar in Rome or one of the religious high elite people. He comes born in a poor family in an area filled with poverty. And he comes in to endure the world that we live in the way we live in it. And he comes and he lives the life that you and I are called to live but choose not to. And then he goes and takes the penalty that you and I deserve that he doesn't and he gives himself in our place. If you've been tracking along on Wednesday nights here with us, that's what we spent time on. The penalty paid for sin. Why does Christ, our Redeemer, need to be God, need to be human, right? Why did he need to die? Does that forgive our sin? Like we've been working through these questions to this point. See, Jesus gives himself as a sacrifice to redeem humanity that has nothing to offer. The broke, poverty-stricken, holiness deficit humanity that we are that choose to go the other way even knowing the penalty for our sin so jesus dies in our place he is laid in a grave to forgive our sins but three days later he resurrects from the grave to give us new life that in christ we go from outsider enemy of god to family right we are redeemed with no value of our own, we're brought into the family of God to share in all those blessings. Today's blessing we're talking about is not financial, it's not the food, it's not that. It's, it's that we have peace no matter what our circumstances are. Whether we're broke or we have a plenty. That because we're in Christ, we are the family of God. If you're truly in Christ, if your life is in Him, if you are living every day striving to be in Christ, living in repentance of sin and, and a part of a church that you're, you're in Christ and you will have peace and can have peace in all circumstances, no matter what. 
that we're not dependent upon this world for our peace. It transforms us the way we think, the way we act, the way we live, the way we treat others. Galatians 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That word sons is sons and daughters, children of God. Jesus entered into our story to overcome it so that in Christ we become like him, that we become sons and daughters, children of the very God who created us, no longer outsiders, no longer enemies, no longer without hope, now children of God. Verse 21, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, so we're back to the story, Ruth and Naomi are recapping what's been going on. She's told them about Boaz. Naomi's pointed out, Boaz might be a redeemer for our family. You're seeing the parallel, right? God has always provided redemption. This is human redemption. This is to care for human needs, like family and food and care. But it's truly a spiritual parallel that Jesus cares for our spiritual needs, that he reconciles us to a spiritual family. Do we become children of God? So now we're, we're back in the human story. Remember, upper story, lower story. The upper story, what God is doing. The lower story, what we're experiencing is seeing. What Naomi is experiencing and seeing and what Ruth is experiencing and seeing is someone who loves God enough to not act as he thinks is right, but rather act how God has told him is right. And in that, he may indeed be a redeemer for this family, one to bring them into his family, providing for them for the rest of their lives. Like Jesus, inviting us into the family of God forever to care for our spiritual lives. So it says in Ruth, verse 21, the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, women, lest in another field you be assaulted. I don't want you to miss the risk here. As Ruth the Moabite goes into or outside of Bethlehem to the place where people are growing their, their food and, and doing all that out more in a remote area outside the city, she's at risk. She's a young woman. She's from a foreign land from a land that don't like, that don't get along with these people. And that because of that, she's vulnerable. And Naomi doesn't miss the, the struggle and the risk that, that, that Ruth is taking for the two of them. In 1 Corinthians, we talked about members of the body, and we talked about those weaker members. We talked about people that are more vulnerable, whether that be because of their, their situation, they're in need, Maybe they're newer to the faith. Maybe they're struggling through something. Maybe they're enduring a season of grief or struggle or pain or something. And it talks about our care for the weaker members, those who require more care. See, it's consistent, front to back, Old Testament, New Testament, same thing, that God calls us to be a people who care for the marginalized, especially within the church. We're not limited to just the church. We, we can care for the marginalized in the community as well. But truly, if we're missing the care for a family here, we're missing it all. That our job is to care for those in need. Verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, 
gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So she continues to do so until the end of the harvest. She is cared for through that entire season. She's able to take and, and, and accrue more than she actually needs. She's not just getting her daily bread. She is providing for the next year for her family. This last line, as she lived with her mother-in-law, it's subtle, but it's put in there to remind us of Ruth's fidelity to Naomi, her purity, her walk with God. She doesn't go find a guy and run off to do this. She waits on the timing of God. She's not leaving to have a man provide for her. She's not trusting in human circumstances. She's trusting in God's provision. She waits. She remains with her mother-in-law. She doesn't go run off to a human solution. She waits. And it reminds us of her purity and chastity, her relationship with God, and her waiting on his provision. So three things that stood out to me from today's passage. One, in a broken and sinful world, vulnerable people are looking for kindness and favor. In a world filled with pain, people need kindness and favor. Number two, when everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes, Boaz does what is right in God's eyes. Remember that kind of overarching, this was before there was a king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone doing different things according to what they think. And in a world filled with people like that, like we live in today, Boaz is an example of doing what God says is right. We need to be that. Boaz also stewards all that he has as if his income and resources and land and all of it are God's. He treats everything that he owns as if it's just owned by God and he is there to be a godly biblical manager of it. So some takeaways as we do each week. Well, You'll share a takeaway with someone next to you. And so what applications will you make? Consider some of these following categories. For me, in this world with vulnerable people need kindness and favor, I want to, because what Christ has shown me, I want to see them and treat them differently. Because Christ cared for me when I was vulnerable and weak and had nothing to offer, I want to be that to other people. For those of you who have been walking with Jesus for quite some time, when everyone else is doing what is right in his own eyes, you're here to teach the church what is right in God's eyes. For the mature in faith, those who are walking with Jesus, leaning into this for a, for a while, we're the ones to teach those rather than to do what they think is right, but rather what God says is right. If you're young in your faith, you're new to the faith, if you're, you're, you're needing some maturity, your peace is not found in what you have, it's found in Christ. All that we have is God's and given to us by him to be good managers of it. When we have nothing, God will provide. If we trust in God, we will have peace. We don't find peace in owning a home or having a job or having a spouse or having a family or what, uh, uh, having a degree in something. We, our trust, our faith, our peace is found in Christ. For those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, the kindness of God is revealed even in caring for you in times that seem desperate. And the gospel is for you. God is not against you, God is for you. That in those seasons that are the hardest, when we look and see, it's God there providing, God there caring, God there calling you to Him. Parents who have kids, do you teach your children to be dependent upon God for their peace and their satisfaction? or upon what they can achieve 
and own in this life. Take some time. Let's take two, three minutes. Talk to somebody around you. Make sure there's nobody, please, who is left out. We would not want to talk about people who are marginalized and then leave someone out in this conversation. So turn two, three minutes. What is your takeaway? What's something you heard you want to apply to your life this week?